Believe it or not, we are uh, a one week away from being done with this series. Next Sunday is, is our last uh, sermon on the Summer in the Psalms. And uh, I hate to see it go, but uh, you know, all good things must come to an end. Broken hearts and fresh starts, one of our pastors used to say. And so we continue to move on. Uh, next week, I'm excited that our ABFs will be uh, again uh, functioning and excited for, for those gatherings to play, take place on the 8th. Of course, our children are going to be promoted into their, uh, their new classes. And of course, the parenting class, all that is going to get pushed forward. I want to encourage you to engage in, in as much as you can and even beyond what you're necessarily comfortable with. This is a time to renew. It's a time to lean in to what God is doing. And God is doing many great things through the family here at Living Hope. We, we are talking about thriving with hope. And we're, we're studying the Psalms. And I'm so excited this morning to get to speak uh, about and, and, and preach from a very important psalm. At least it's very important to me because of, of how it ministered to me in a very dark season and, and how God provided through it, through these, these wonderful words. And I, I, I hope and pray that they, these words will, will be of great benefit to you. This morning, we're going to talk about, you know, kind of what you do when you're having a, a wilderness experience spiritually. When you go through a, a very difficult time and, and, and you need God to show up in a very personal and a very powerful way. And, and, and these experiences, they, they, they happen differently for, for different people. But, but make no mistake about it. These experiences are very biblical. And what you need to understand as you've gone through them, uh, as you go through, as you will go through them, some of you are going through them now, understand what God's doing is, is he's, he's giving us the discipline needed and the heart required to serve him well. These wilderness experiences have a purpose and they're well-founded in scripture. Lots of examples. For instance, Jacob, when he was away from his family, serving his uncle Laban, it was a very wilderness-like experience. Joseph, when he was there in Egypt, far from his home and, and from, um, from those who held his, his shared faith, a very, very powerful, moving wilderness experience. Moses, having committed murder, spent 40 years in a wilderness experience, uh, seeking and, and God having to prepare him for, for the next 40 years of leading his people out of Egypt into the promised land. David, David as a shepherd boy, as a child, uh, he had to flee Saul into the wilderness. He even had to flee his son, Absalom, which we're going to look at closely today. Jesus. You know, one of my, my favorite uh, scriptures in the gospel, it's, it's amazing how this works, is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. So in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And at the baptism of Jesus, we see the Trinity. We see the Holy Spirit coming down and God the Father speaking. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then it's like, Chapter four, verse one, it's like a record scratch, you know, that. And then God led him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So after this great, you know, spiritual high, he went into the wilderness. And then, of course, the apostle Paul. We read in Acts 9 about his Damascus Road experience and his beginnings to, to defend the faith. But he had to go away to the Arabian desert for three years just to get his theology straight. To, to really experience uh, the gospel and his understanding of the, of the doctrine of grace and how it applied to his life and how he was going to suffer for God and make that message known through, throughout the entire world. 
God, God works through these wilderness experiences and you're going to have them. You have had them if you've been a Christian for a while. And although the wilderness experiences might happen physically, and when I say physically, I mean we feel very much alone in a difficult situation, like what many college freshmen are about to feel as they leave their homes and the rhythms and the demands that their parents provide, suddenly they, they, they miss mashed potatoes and green beans and fried okra and, and, and spaghetti night and, and all those other, other great meals that they have held in disdain for oh so long. Now, now suddenly there, there's tears at, at the thought of their bedroom and, and all the, because they're, they're entering into this time. And it feels very much like a wilderness experience. Sometimes it's matched with emotion. Sometimes there are just simply emotional wildernesses. And it's when we're overwhelmed with with painful feelings. Now, sometimes, sometimes it's purely spiritual. There may not be anything emotional, physical going on. This happened to me uh, 26 years ago. I was 22 years old. And at this point, I'd been a Christian seven years. And at that particular time, things from the outside looking in couldn't have probably seemed any better. Carrie and I had been married for a year. We were very happy. Uh, I was about to graduate from college and begin seminary. We were serving this sweet little church that loved us so much and they were so kind to us and we were seeing people saved almost every single week. And so it was a great time on the, on the outside looking in, but I was struggling it wasn't doubt. I know what doubt is. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to go through a series in the fall on how to deal with doubts, how to thrive when you're doubting. And it wasn't depression. I, 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 I studied depression, spiritual depression, it's causes and cures by Martin Lloyd Jones. I highly recommend it. It's very helpful to understand what's happening in those times. What, what I was experiencing was different. It, it wasn't depression. It wasn't doubt. My belief was strong. I believed in God. I just didn't feel his presence anymore. Everything I did was out of discipline, not delight. I prayed and I did not, I did not sense that God was in anywhere near me to hear my words. I studied the Bible, but I did not sense it, it having a welcomed home in my heart. I continued to do all the Christian things that I knew I needed to do, but I was in a wilderness. I was doing everything I was supposed to do because I knew I was supposed to do it. Now, up until that point, the previous seven years, I woke up every day sensing the presence of God. All day long, sensed God's presence. When I sinned, I felt deep conviction. When, when, I, when I saw a God at work, I felt great, overwhelming pleasure in the spirit of God. And suddenly, nothing. And I entered into a wilderness. And I was so grateful that God had provided a man that had given me counsel in, in a season previous that was difficult. And he took me to today's psalm. And he discipled me in the truth of this psalm. And and I was so grateful for how God provided in that season. I share today, I share my story today just to get this going, just just again, to emphasize this. A wilderness experience, it may be physical. It may be emotional. It may be spiritual. It may be all three. But whenever it is and whatever it is, 
God has a plan for it. And God is faithful. He was faithful to me. And and coming out of that, I found myself thriving. What's thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Now, since that time, I've gone through a lot of different kinds of wilderness experiences. And I've learned that we should never be surprised when we enter into this kind of experience. They're very normal. They're a normal part of the Christian journey on our way home to heaven. So we, we need to be prepared for them. And we need to learn how to make the most of them. This psalm has been a great blessing to me. And I pray that it'll be a a great blessing to you today. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Piper's going to come and read for us verses 1 through 8. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And Piper, read for us Psalm 63 verses 1 through 8. God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. This song is a little complicated as it pertains to how to categorize it. Uh, If you look there at the beginning, um, you get a a sense that this is a lament, but it's not a lament. It, It actually turns and it becomes what is known as a psalm of confidence. A psalm of confidence, a psalm that expresses trust in God's loyal love. Now, this psalm was written by David, and most commentators, and and, and I I, I agree uh, with them, that this was written when David was fleeing Absalom. If you would, hold your finger in Psalm 63. Let's go, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 15. What has happened is David's son Absalom, very handsome, very strong, uh, very charismatic young man, has decided he wants to be king. And so he wants to take out his dad. And so he has formed an army. He has formed supporters. And it, it's, it's now crunch time. And David is feeling it. Word has, has come to David there in, the, in Jerusalem. And, and, and there's, there's some bad stuff going on. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15, verse 15. And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him. And they halted at the last house. And so what you see is this picture, this very sad moment. When King David is leaving Jerusalem, he's running from his own flesh and blood. He's escaping this very, very real danger. And he's going out into what he doesn't yet know will be a, a wilderness experience. And so I put this map up here for you. So you see the, the green is, is Absalom's passage 
and the red is David. So see, he came, he came out of Jerusalem into uh, Bahiram where he was cursed. And, and there's, there was one who actually cursed him as he was going by. And they went past uh, Gilgal to the west side. You see where the arrow goes, to the west side of the Jordan. And it was there that we get a sense that, that he rested and that he felt safe because Psalm, he wrote Psalm 3 there. This is Psalm 3, verses 5 and 6. Having reached that point, he wrote this. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And so David's feeling really good about where he is. They've gotten out of Jerusalem. There's, there's been uh, some safety and, and, and they, he slept good that night. You know, I don't know if you've ever felt that, you know, when you're having that anxious day and you just tell, I know I'm not going to sleep tonight. You know that feeling. And, and yet he did. And so he woke the next morning and he, he writes Psalm 3 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, man, this is, we're, we're okay. Yeah, thousands of people are coming after us. Yeah, they're going to try to kill us. But man, we're good. And then he got another word. So go over two chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, let's, let's look at verse 21. So he had sent a spy to, to go in. And, and Hushai was one of the counselors uh, that had gone in to figure out what, what Absalom was going to do. And so they got word and they sent some spies out to, to get word to David. So verse 21, after they had gone, the men came out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, arise and go quickly over the water. For thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him and they crossed the Jordan by daybreak. Not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. So here they, here they go. They, they've crossed now. They've gotten across that, that Jordan River. And then if you look on the map, what happened then was they had to take a journey for a day. They had to go through a desert to get a, to um, Mahanaim. So that's a long day and it's hot. And, and, and things are really, really getting hard for David, getting difficult for his people. There's, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of emotional pain. There's a lot of fear. Jump down to verse 27 and verse 17. I'm sorry, in chapter 17. When David came to Mahanaim, Shabai, the son of Nahash, from Rabbi of the Ammonites, and Makir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Lodabar, that uh, means the place of death. This is where many of you will remember in 2 Samuel 9, where David went and got... Um, 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 Jonathan's son and brought him back and had shown grace and favor to him in 2 Samuel 9. And uh, Barzillai and the Gileadite from Rogalim and brought beds and basins and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds and sheep and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For, the, uh, for they said, now look at this, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. They were having a very real wilderness experience emotionally physically certainly spiritually and and David's David's tone now changes David is now in this desert and what we will see in our text today is that he can't sleep you ever had that day when it's like everything you're just exhausted I mean moms you get it dads, you know, let's, let's, let's think about, you know, maybe a hard day at work. Mom, moms feel like this every day, but, but others are, you know, you get that heart and you're working and you're exhausted and you're just thinking, but I'm going to go to bed tonight. 
and I'm going to get in my bed, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to sleep so hard. Well, David was exhausted, and he was looking forward to that bed, and he found no sleep. Instead, he was stirred. Instead, he met with God. Alec Moyer uh, is a, an, an author. He, he wrote Psalms by Day. It's one of the many books I've written, I've read rather, on, on the Psalms in preparation for the series. I appreciate what he says here. A sleepless night is just as much a gift of God as a night's sound sleep. Not that we usually look on it that way, but David did. Those watches of the night, so often occasions of restlessness, always time when the day's molehills become mountains of anxiety, he turned into opportunities to muse about God And to come, not to a fresh place of worry, but to a fresh place of joy and all-around assurance. Now, I realize some of you are not in a wilderness experience right now, but I want to warn you, you continue to walk with God and you will be. And you need to right now sow the seeds of God's word into your soul So when that moment comes, you can reap a harvest of God's truth by the power of the Spirit to be at work in you. Some of you are in the wilderness right now, and I want to tell you, what I'm about to teach you is not going to fix your problem. This is not a self-help equation for how to make life what you want it to be. This is not a, (laughs) I hope none of my sermons are a your best life now kind of sermon. (laughs) But, But what it is is soundly biblical and true. And and these truths have helped me, and I believe, by God's help, they will help you. What do we do? What do we do when we're in this wilderness? Three things. Take note. First is this. When you're in the wilderness spiritually, seek God and trust him to provide. Seek him, especially when you don't feel like it especially when you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. Eat, keep eating, keep drinking in the river of life. Keep on, you need it for sustenance. Well, you know, I just, I just don't, I just don't really like it. Eat it. It is good for your soul. You, you will at some point be glad that you did Seek God, seek him. Even when you don't delight in it, do it out of discipline. So here's David. And and notice how David thinks about and how he addresses God. This is very important. A whole sermon could be preached on on just these first first few words. Notice first he says how he addresses God. Oh God. The Hebrew is very helpful here. This is the word Elohim. The word Elohim speaks to the, the multi-nature, it's a plural, the multi-personhood of God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so here God is seen as transcendent. He is over all things. He's in complete control. And so David in this wilderness can't sleep. He's exhausted. And he looks up and he says, oh God, God who's in control, God who is big. And then look what he says. Oh God. You are my God. Now that word for God there is El. E-L, the way how we would say it. And that word El actually is equal to Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. 
It's the name of God that is used to speak to the promises that God makes to his people. It speaks to the faithfulness of God, the the goodness of God to to his children who trust in him. And so look what David's doing here. He's saying, oh God, who's way out there and bigger and, and beyond me. You're my God. You're with me. You're right here. And notice what David is doing. He says, earnestly, I seek you. Now, not all of your versions of your Bible say earnestly. Some of your versions actually say early. And, and there's, there's a reason. There's a reason for that. Both are right. This is the Hebrew word shakar. And, and this word, the sense of it is, is that because of the seriousness, because of the desperate need of the moment, that, that, that what is sought will be sought er, early. And so the the idea here is because of what's going on, David is saying earnestly or early, first thing, I've got to come to you, God. You know, we have an example of coming before God early in the life of Jesus. In Mark chapter one, verse 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. If Jesus Christ, the son of God, needed time alone with the Lord first thing in the morning, how much more so do we? How much more so do we who struggle with sin and and are are battling all the battles of the flesh constantly having, having, yes, overcome and and been, been given this new nature by the spirit of God, but now the flesh is at work. How much more do we? Friends, we need to earnestly seek the Lord every day. And and let me tell you three things about that. First of all, you need to have a time that you do it. You need to schedule it. You need to have a scheduled time with God. If you're just going to go through your day and just assume that somehow that's just going to pop up and happen, you're not going to have a strong relationship with God. You're not going to do it. I remember when when Carrie and I were dating in high school, I knew all the times I was going to find her that day. I knew her schedule. I knew my schedule. I knew where her locker was. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I knew what, what period. I knew when she was going to be walking while I was in PE. She was in lunch. She'd be walking by. I was going to make sure no losers were trying to talk to her. <laughs> See, I had the times, right? See, I, I knew the times when, when there would be, you know, I know it's hard. You know, there, were t- there were days before text. We actually used to have to pass notes. <laughs> Recorded history that could get you in trouble, right? But I knew where. So I, I knew the time. Also, the place. Friends, it's not enough. You got to have a place. You know, I have a place in my home. When I go sit in that chair, here's what my dog Charlie knows. We don't interrupt that time or that place. At 6 a.m., any given morning, he knows where to find me. And he comes up, he wants a pat on the head, and then he passes out at my feet. It's great. He doesn't know what I'm doing, but he doesn't interrupt it. I have a time and I have a place. And then the, the third thing is very important. I have a plan. It dawned on me this week. I've been using the same plan for over 2,300 days. Now, I know that because I have an electronic device that I use to record my prayers. And and I have over 2,300 days recorded of me day after day spending this time and following this plan. And I've written just over 5,000 pages of prayers. Now, A guy like me doesn't just write 5,000 pages of prayers. 
I have to have a time. I have to have a place. I have to have a plan for how I'm going to earnestly seek the Lord. And I promise you, I'm paid to be good. You guys are good for nothing. I know what you all need, right? I'm just kidding. We're all good and righteous in Jesus Christ. But you get what I'm saying. We all need a time. We need a place. We need a plan to earnestly seek the Lord. And notice how David describes what's happening to him and his need in this prayer as he's seeking out to this God who is big and still nearby. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Have you ever felt like you're going to dehydrate and, and, and maybe pass out and die? It's not a good experience. It's not, I had that experience in Africa. We uh, had gone to a village. Jason Graham was with me, one of our elders. And we had had an amazing day. We had gone into this village and we had divided up. There were two of us and there were several other teams of two. We sat down in an area where people came flocking. It was almost a little terrifying because we started teaching and before we knew it, we couldn't see the space for all the people who were around us. And there were some imams that showed up. Those are Muslim leaders. And so they were sitting down giving us the stink eye, you know, and we're teaching, you know, the gospel and it, we took our times, like, when are we going to get an audience? When are they going to hear the gospel again? Well, I drank all my water in the excitement of the moment. And then once we were done, it was time to leave. I realized I had no water and we had a long walk to get back to the front of that village. And so as we walked, I got a headache and we had to sit down. And I don't mind to tell you, I wimped out and uh, I thought, I'm going to die in Africa. Great. My wife's going to be so mad at me. That's literally the thought, the process. I'm going to die and she's going to be mad. That was the process of my thing. But I was so just exhausted. And, and I, I sense David here. He's, he's thirsty for God. And can I tell you something that's so good about God? He satisfies the thirst of those who come to him. And it's free. Revelation 21, 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Can I, can I tell you that, that God will satisfy the thirsty, but not everyone is thirsty. Why aren't all God's people thirsty? Let me tell you why for most people. It's because we have slaked our thirst on something worldly. We're not thirsty for God because we've been drinking from the fountain of this world. And, and we don't feel thirsty anymore because what we've been putting down, it, it, it feels like it satisfies. But can I just tell you, it's poison. What you're drinking down is poison. How many of you have, uh, can remember your mom saying, don't spoil your dinner? Show of hands. How many of you had a mother who ever said, don't spoil? Can I tell you what, what Jesus is saying? Don't spoil your soul. Don't spend your time drinking from the fountain of this planet rather than serving the Lord and feeling the thirst and the desire for the word, for the man, Jesus Christ, that river of life to slake your, to satisfy your thirst. Rather than filling our minds with junk, we need to be filling our minds with Jesus. We need the word of God to come in and we got to seek God and trust that he's going to provide and that he's going to, to, uh, to, to reveal his plan for whatever it is that's, that's going on, that's going to come. You know what I have to do, friends? Every day when I'm studying God's word, I have a, I have a motive for what I'm doing. There's, 
I have to do this every single day. Every single day when I'm studying the word of God and I'm praying, one of the things, the first thing I'm doing is I'm trying to remind myself to remember that God really is in control. Because see, everything in the world's telling me that government's in control. And, and that I need to fear, not God, but whatever the other, other political party's doing or what the other nations are doing or, 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 or whatever, what the entertainment industry's doing, what the media's doing. I'm being told constantly that, that these are the powers that are in control. What, you know what the word of God tells me every day? The word of God tells me God is in control. And I need that reminder every day. You know the second thing I'm looking for? When I read God's word and I study God's word, every day not only do i need to know that god is in control i need to be reminded that he really does love me god the god the god of the bible who is terrifying and mighty he loves this guy and every day i need to be reminded that no matter what i once was and what i'm not yet he loves me. And the third thing I've got to be constantly reminded is that he has a plan. And he has the power to accomplish that plan for my life, for that day, for that moment. No matter what I'm going through, here's what I'm looking for every day as I get into to the word of God in prayer and have that time alone with him. Lord, remind me that you're in control. Remind me that you love me. Remind me that you have a plan and the power to accomplishment so that I can rest so that I can rest in you. We've got to seek God. We've got to pursue him. We've got to make him first. We've got to, you know, in in terms of priorities, he's there. He's, He's the first one. Second, when you're in the wilderness spiritually, remember God. Remember God and celebrate past worship experiences. Now that sound, that may sound weird to some of you all, but it's very important discipline. That's what he's doing in verse two. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So he's looking back and he's remembering the worship experiences that he's had in the past because he's drawing strength from them. Having having planted those seeds, this word here, he looked upon. This is the word uh, chazah. It's the word that is used in, in in the Hebrew Bible to describe what would happen when God would give a prophet a vision? He would look upon, he would see, he would see something from God. He would see something of God and it would be something from and for God. This happens a lot of times for me when we sing. I can remember the, one of the early times when we were singing the song, The Goodness of God. And it gripped me again this morning in the first service. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Sometimes I forget. Do you ever forget? I forget. And I need to gather with God's church and I need to be remembered that God is so, so good. And that all my life, he has been faithful. And, and those experiences, they, they, they remind me of what God has done in the past. And I want you to remember something. Today, today will be yesterday, tomorrow. This week 
will be last week in a couple of weeks. This month is soon going to be last month, and this, this year is going to soon be last year. You know, I don't know about you, but I think somebody should give July a speeding ticket because it's going by too fast. I say that to remind you that what you're investing in your life right now is going to produce something tomorrow. God's word says this. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Friends, we need to gather with the church every Sunday and we need to anticipate and pray that God will give us a fresh vision of who he is and for what he wants to do with our life. We need to every Sunday anticipate experiencing God. We pray for it at the beginning of every single service. Lord, speak to us for your glory. Transform us. Be glorified in how we praise you. Let this praise be genuine from our hearts so that we are changed by it. Worship experiences are are powerful and we need to have many of them because you never, you never know when God's going to show up. Parents, have your children in church because you never know. We baptized a little girl a couple of weeks ago. There she was in the middle of the Lord's Supper. And she heard me say, if you've never repented and believed the gospel, you cannot receive these elements. Now, she's heard me say that her whole life. But that Sunday, she was convicted of her sin. And she realized, I need to be saved. You know, and guys, let me tell you something. One of the most powerful experiences, some of the most powerful experiences I've ever had have been in environments where I didn't like the music. I didn't like it. I don't like some of our music. People ask me all the time, what kind of music I like? You don't want to know. My family makes fun of the kind of music I like. I like folk music. If I was in charge of things, it'd be me and my mom and like five people, right? One of the most powerful experiences I ever had was in China. Someone was playing a piano that desperately needed to be tuned. I don't know music, but I knew that piano needed to be shot. Just put down. And they were singing in Mandarin. But then I caught the song. I knew the tune. This is my father's world. Well, let me never forget that though the wrong seems all so strong, God is the ruler yet. What am I always looking for? To be mindful that God is in control. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? He loves me. My daddy loves me. He's in control. He loves me. The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. I got a job to do is tell the whole world how good God is so they can be glad too. He's in control. He loves us. He's got a plan. We can trust him. We can walk in it. We need, we need these experiences. Verse three, because your steadfast love, we talked about this word, kessed, it's grace and grace is life giving. It's better than life because it provides life. It's the grace that, that, in, it, it, that enables us to hold to the gospel. We look at the three circles. When we repent and believe the gospel, the gospel frees us to pursue and recover God's design. That experience drives the trajectory of our life. And the more we gather for worship, the more we experience God in our real life in an authentic way, the more there is fuel to the direction, fuel to the life that God gives us by grace. And it enables us to honor him. And that's the third thing. 
That's the third thing. When you're in the wilderness spiritually, honor God and meditate on his faithfulness. Look, look what is happening here. This is, this is so good. I, I want you to catch what's happening here. Again, David can't sleep. He's tired and he can't sleep. It's time to go to sleep. Seems like everybody else sleep. But what is David doing? My, and catch the tense. And when I say tense, I mean future, past, present. Because I'm going to quiz you on this, all right? So look closely. Look at the tense. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Past, present, or future? Future. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on, you, on the watches of the night, when I remember you, when does that happen? Now. Yeah. Well, that's true. It is, it is in a, when I do remember you, when I look back, that is past. For you have been my help, past, present, future, past. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy, past, present, future, future. My soul clings to you, present, for your right hand upholds me. What's he doing? He's in the presence of God. And he's like, God, right now I'm holding on to you and I can look back and I can remember what you've done and I can look forward because I know what you're going to do. You're going to be the same God. You're going to do what you've always done. You're going to provide. You're going to meet with me. You're, you're going to change my life. Friends, never waste a sleepless night in the wilderness. Look to God. If you can't sleep, go find a place. It may not be the time of your choosing. Go get the word and be ready. Be ready when that moment comes to you because you never know when you're going to have a sleepless night. I, it takes me, it aggravates my wife to no end. It takes me approximately seven to 12 seconds for me to fall asleep every night. You know, some of those rough nights, it takes all of 12 seconds. It's tough, man. It is tough. When I don't sleep, here's my first assumption. God has something to say to me. So I get up and I go to the word. I often go to the Psalms and I say, Lord, speak. And sometimes I will begin and he'll guide me to something else. The Lord speaks through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can trust him. And so we can know that God is father, that Christ, our brother, and the power of the spirit gives us this life and he'll, he'll be with us. Now, 23 years ago, I have to be honest and tell you, I did not experience immediate relief. It was in the spring that he discipled me in Psalm 63. It wasn't until late summer that I began to once again experience what I felt was the presence of God in my life again. I spent weeks simply doing what I knew I was supposed to do. I spent weeks basically remembering how faithful God had been to me. And God was faithful again in his time. I've been through so many other wilderness experiences over the last 26 years. And can I tell you, I stand before you today, a man who is still in in need of a sanctifying work of God's spirit. But the Lord has been faithful. And what I once was, I am no more. And what I'm yet to be, I'm not there yet, but by the grace of God, I am who I am in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I wonder, 
Where are you? Where's the Lord in your life? I mean, is he really the center? Is he really your savior? Or are you counting on something else? Can you recount his faithfulness? And do you? Do you tell people at your home, at your work, how faithful God has been to you? Or are you keeping that a secret? Keep it a secret no more. Ask other people. How has God been faithful to you? How has God shown up in your life? You might find that they've never known the one true God and they need you to help them understand who he is. But here's what I know. If you've never been saved, you can't know this God. You're separated from him. And if you are a Christian and you're not being faithful to him, you cannot experience the blessing that he has for you. And so let's ask for God's help. If you don't mind, let's stand together. I'm gonna ask our care leaders, if you guys don't mind to come forward, they're here to minister to you at the end of the service. Um, If you need someone to pray for you, they are glad to pray for you. They're glad to talk with you about how God is at work in your life. You're also welcome, the band's gonna play. You're welcome just to come and kneel and pray as long as you want. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for these leaders who are coming forward because they all have a story of your faithfulness. And I pray today they'll be able to minister to others who need this reminder. God, I know full well that there are some who are listening right now who have never trusted in Christ Jesus. They've never been saved. And so because of that fact, they're alone in the world. And if they die in this condition, they are gonna hear you say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you and they will, they will be judged for eternity in hell. God, I pray that right now that they will be saved. I pray that they will come and talk with these leaders and say, I need to be saved. I need this God. I need Jesus. I, I need him. I need him right now. Lord, I pray for some who are saved, who are far from you. Maybe they've allowed circumstances. Maybe they've just gotten lazy. Maybe they're they're apathetic, but Lord, right now they sense their need. And I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you would lead them to repentance and renewal. And Lord, we do need you. And I'm so grateful that you meet us where we are. So I pray for some today who just simply need to come and bow before you and talk to you about needs in their life or in the life of someone they love and ask for you to to intervene and to intercede and to provide your blessing. We love that you are a blessed God that gives blessings. So bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.